0: What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back. Today's episode is going to be brought to you by Mystery Ranch, built for the mission. And if you guys aren't rocking a Mystery Ranch Fireline pack, well, you're doing it wrong. And your back probably sucks. It probably hurts right now. But they make, other than the most bitching, most durable, most comfortable fire pack, bleh, Fireline packs in the game, they make a ton of other load-bearing essentials. But not only that, they give back to the community. So check this out. They have started the... Mystery Ranch Backbone Series. And what that is, is not only just telling the story of the boots on the ground with the uh, Backbone Series, but they also started the Backbone Series Scholarship. And it is an opportunity for you, yes, you, to win one of these $1,000 Mystery Ranch Backbone Scholarships. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. So, if you got an epic story to tell and you want to contribute to the betterment of the wildland fire community, well, go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check out the Backbone series. And while you're at it, check out all the packs. And while you're at it, go check out Robert LeBonc's uh, new book called Moondust. It's a, basically a photojournalism project documenting the events that happened on the August complex, and it is pretty badass. So, once again, Go over there, check it out. www.mysteryranch.com, and support the cause. The Anchor Point Podcast is also going to be brought to you by our premier coffee sponsor, and that is none other than Hot Shop Brewery. It's kick-ass coffee for a kick-ass cause, and a portion of the proceeds will always go back to our homies over there at the Wildland Firefighter Foundation, and they've been doing a hell of a lot of work, especially this year and every year. They—that's uh, the foundation that obviously takes care of us. So, if you want to support the cause. Uh, A little bit indirect, I guess you could say. Well, go over to hotshotbrewery.com and pick up some stuff. They've got all of your wildland firefighter themed apparel. They have kick-ass coffee for kick-ass cause. And they have all the tools of the trade to get your morning started off right. But not only that, they help support the Anchor Point podcast by slinging some of our merch. So I'm just going to do full disclaimer here. They hold on to our... Uh, staples, if you will, are flagship models of merch. So if you want them anytime, uh, as long as they are in stock, go over to www.hotshotbrewing.com and pick yourself up some. Anchor Point Podcast would like to give a quick little shout out to our buddy Booze over at the Ass Movement. And if you guys don't know what the Ass Movement stands for, well, that is the Anti-Surface shitting movement and yeah it is a serious problem and it's nothing i find more disgusting than uh coming along the trail and going to my favorite fly fishing place and seeing a human turd gift wrapped in toilet paper that shit needs to stop and it's disgusting so if you have a problem pooper on the crew or want to help spread the poo burying propaganda go over to www.thefirewild.com and check out the ass movement for all your poo burying propaganda needs And last but not least, the Anchor Point Podcast is going to be brought to you by the Smoky Generation, also known as the American Wildfire Experience. And if you guys don't know what that is, well, it is a digital archive, a digital storytelling platform of wildland firefighting stories dating all the way back to the 1940s. There's a collection of over 100 of them, and it's pretty cool. Uh, Yeah, so if you want a little trip down memory lane or if you want to uh, get some some uh, stories from your peers in the field. By all means, go over to www.wildfireexperience.org and check it out. Uh, not only that, they also do the Smoky Generation Wildfire Experience uh, grants. And uh, yeah, you guys uh, and girls out there who are telling the story of wildland fire across the uh, yeah across the globe now, which is pretty awesome, have an opportunity to win one of these five hundred dollars Smoky Generation grants for. Uh, telling your story in the field and helping support the cause uh, i believe that 2021 is closed at this point but there's always next year there's been a ton of winners and each one has a very unique story and flavor uh to add to the wildland fire telling story it, it it's pretty awesome bethany you have a kick-ass organization over there keep it up and hopefully i'll be hearing from you soon here on the podcast so once again thank you <music> What's going on ladies and gentlemen welcome back hope everybody's doing well and uh yeah wow we've had some uh pretty impressive fire behavior uh both up in the klamath and on the beckworth uh complex yeah that beckworth complex is spitting out tornadoes apparently well at least very very powerful fire whirls. but yeah hope everybody's doing well and i hope everybody's being safe keep your head on a swivel especially on that escarpment it's uh one of those more low-key super dangerous places to fight fire and not a lot of people know about it. So keep your head on swivel and stay safe out there. That being said, uh, today on the show, I've got a little bit of incident command knowledge being dropped and who better to have it than my buddy Chris. Chris is, uh, he's a former El Carrizo hotshot and now he is a BC for Pachanga Fire Department. But more importantly, he is one of the planning section chiefs for Cal Fire Incident Management Team 4. So today, we are going to learn and expand on what exactly plans chiefs do. It's pretty cool. Uh, Yeah, there's a couple of parts where we kind of got off topic, but that's, hey, that's a premise of the show, and uh, this wouldn't be the Anchor Point podcast without going down a couple of rabbit holes. So with that being said, hope everybody enjoys the show, and I'd like to introduce my good friend, Chris Birch. Welcome to the Anchor Point. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast. Today on the show, I've got my good friend Chris Birch. He's a firefighter in SoCal, and he's also assigned to a Cal Fire Incident Management Team. What's going on, Chris? How you doing, man?
1: Brandon, it's uh, it's great to be on the show, man. I've been a big fan for a few years, and uh, it's, I consider it an honor to be on here and kind of give my perspective um, from uh, being a employee of a tribal fire department, assigned to a Cal Fire Incident Management Team, and and kind of, you know, maybe we can take care of some of the, I guess, questions or the mysteries of Trouble Fire and Cal Fire teams. Um, Cause I know you're kind of, you, you kind of open up to everything. Like there's nothing off limits with the podcast. So oh, yeah, man. hopefully I can bring some light to, uh, from my perspective. And again, I, I know you have the disclaimer at the beginning, but I just want to say, these are my words. This is from my perspective. I'm not speaking on behalf of my department or, Or on the behalf of Cal Fire, but uh, just uh, just from my perspective,
0: yeah, Oh, for sure, man, and yeah, it's uh, like you said, man. This 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 whole podcast, it doesn't matter if you're a contractor, insurance adjuster, Cal Fire, Fed. It's open to everybody out there. I know I kind of specialize in the Fed kind of thing, just because it's my experience and that's what I know. So, but yeah, man, tell me about yourself. Like, what? How'd you get into fire and everything?
1: Um. Well, it's funny. uh, The girl I was dating when I was in high school, her dad said, Hey, what do you want to do? And I'm like, yeah. And so he said, yeah, I know a bunch of firefighters They get a lot of time off to make decent money, you know, spend time with family. And so I want to say the very next week, I went down to the local fire station and uh, dropped an application off to be a volunteer. And, uh, that was in 92 when I did that. It's when I graduated from high school and, uh, Caught on with the local um, volunteer fire station, which was a Cal Fire um, station in in Southwest Riverside County in California, Southern California, and I was immediately hooked on the just the station life, the culture, the camaraderie, the brotherhood.
0: Got the fire, bug so
1: yeah, it just, dude, it just, you know, the working out, the adrenaline rush of going on fires, and it just was. I can't, to be honest with you, I can't believe we get paid to do what we do. It's just uh, an amazing job and. You know, that I steal a line from, um, let me be for fury, like best damn job I ever had. So it is. But um, in the early 90s, it was kind of difficult to, to get a job, a full-time job, or even a seasonal job in the fire service. It's just super competitive industry. And there was a bunch of us that would test and test and test. And about three years of testing, um, I finally got hooked on or um, caught on with um, uh, the Forest Service, Cleveland National Forest. And shout out to uh, Mike Wachowski. He was a fire captain at the time. He he called me up and said, hey, uh, actually, he didn't call me up. He, t- he paged me. Because back then you had pagers. the pagers? Yeah. And so, you know, you he would carry an extra quarter in your pocket. So if you got that page, you go to a pay phone and you, you call up whoever it was that paged you. And funny story about this. I was, uh, as a volunteer, I would always call and seek to work. Because I wanted to go to the fire station. I want to work it big five or home depot or yeah, you didn't want to have a day job like, yeah, it, yeah that's the shitty part about having a job you got responsibilities and you have to somewhat be an adult but uh i was working at a uh, restaurant as a bus boy and i would called in sick a couple days because there was a fire and i'd rather go i don't want to be a bus boy i want to be a firefighter yeah and, and so the manager calls me in the office i came into work and he's like dude you have we rely on you put you on the schedule we rely on you have to come into work and uh he's all this is last time i have to have this conversation with you again you're gonna be written up i'm like okay thanks steve i appreciate it i got a page it was uh the fire station phone number so i'm at work i just walked out of the manager's office i called the station it was mike wakowski he's he um at the time he was a captain he then promoted to BC, then DC. Retired from Forest Service because a 57 year thing, and now he works for um, uh, San Bernardino County Fire. Super good guy. Called him up. He's like, "Hey, um, want a job at the on the Cleveland this year?" I'm like, "Yes, sir." He's all, "When can you uh, come down to the fire station and fill out the paperwork?" I said, like, "I'll be there in 20 minutes." <laughs> he's like, I thought you're you at work. I said, "I'm going to go quit." Walked back into the manager's office and said, Hey, I just got a fire job, I'm out of here. He's like, You can't fucking do that. Weird. I said, Hey, I do not want to be a bus dude. I want to be a fireman. So
0: oh, kind of went man. out. Did you give him the fingers when you're uh yeah, <laughs> walking out the much, door?
1: Pretty much <laughs> walked around, high fived all the servers and the busers, and I, I had made it. I officially I made it. So that was pretty cool. I did that for um for three years. Um the cool thing is that. I had a a couple of buddies who worked on the hotshot crew. And so that was my sole focus was to get on the crew because that's where the best of the best was on the hotshot crew. I worked, I think, every single day that I could. There's eight fire stations on the district at that time. I worked every single fire station. And my sole focus was to outwork, out-PT, out-hustle every single person that I worked with.
0: got to earn it, man.
1: Yeah, I, I just... Dude, I had the drive, the desire. Um, so about a month or so into it, I got a, a call up to go to uh, a fire in Utah with the crew. And uh, I, I want to say it was called the corn fire, but I'm not, I'm not sure. Dude, I was just, you know, I was on cloud nine, you know. And I was 22 years old at the time. So just young and dumb and, you know, chock full energy. And, and I remember we get out of the line. And I want to say it was second Pulaski. And so I'm like, I got to, I got to show these folks that I, I deserve to be up here. I, they did not make a bad choice with me. And so I'm just cutting line and cutting and I'm digging, I'm digging, I'm digging, I'm digging, I'm digging. Well, I'm second Pulaski. just so there's probably, I'm going to guess eight or nine other people behind me. Uh-huh. And I'm digging complete line by myself. Cause usually it's a, you know, six foot cut, two foot scrape. And, uh, thankfully the fire activity picked up in front. Um, captain said, Hey, let's bump back to the safety zone for a little bit. Let the fire burn down. And so i get back to the safety zone and I immediately puke Cause have just been working my ass off for 15, 20 minutes. And my buddy's like, dude, you can't go that hard. Like we're going to do this for another 12 hours. Like yeah. you've got to slow down a little bit. Monk.
0: And then there's the day after and the day after and the day after that.
1: Yep. I mean we did everything. We burned on that fire, we spiked on that fire, we kayoted on that fire. I mean it was fucking awesome. I was I was like this is where I I need to be.
0: Just pumped. So we
1: get that with that fire and what's that?
0: You're just pumped about it.
1: Oh my god, it was and I'm again, I'm 22. I don't know any better. And I'm, I'm I'm getting paid to do this. I'm I'm hanging out, I'm camping. I'm getting paid to camp right now. This is amazing. And uh so anyways, we get back from that fire, get back to to the district and go back to my my lame engine crew and that engine crew wasn't lame but just working on the fire engine was was lame because i'm a hot shot now in my mind yeah (laughs) and uh fortunately a couple weeks later um a couple guys had to cycle off because of whatever reason so they called me back up there with a couple other buddies for for the next and i did that for the next three seasons so to this day those three fire seasons on that hand crew best best of my career Best three seasons of my career to this day. Um, still have a couple of really good buddies to keep in touch with, and um, still kind of live locally uh, from the crew. And that's what twenty what was that twenty five years ago.
0: I'm no math professor, dude. I'm not <laughs> good at
1: math either. That's what I'm asking you.
0: <laughs> I became a firefighter for a reason.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and so from then, um, in 1999, I got hired at Pachanga. Um, and I've been there for the last 22 years working at the Changa fire, um, which is just outside of Temecula. Um, it's kind of on the border of San Diego and Riverside County. We're in Riverside County, but, um, really close to the, to the County line there. Been there for 22 years. Um, got hired as an engineer, um, promoted to captain. And then I just promoted to Italian chief in gen- the end of January, I believe. So. That's my new gig now for the last uh, last five months. But um, in that meantime, went to paramedic school. Um, so still, still a licensed paramedic, even though I haven't touched a patient uh, probably six or seven months now. But it, I like that paramedic stipend, so I'm going to keep that license because uh, it's a little bit extra money, you know. Um, let's see. taught EMT for a few years at a local EMT uh, program. Primarily to do that just was to kind of uh, way this is, I'm going to say, I'm going to say to touch the next generation, but I don't mean it in the way that you're thinking, Brandon, uh, touching the next generation. It was
0: actually Careful to, with I'm your words there. To, <laughs> I know. I
1: know. These are my words again, but um, no, just kind of, I had a lot of mentors, you know, coming up and I wanted to provide some direction to uh, the next generation of folks that are coming up, whether they just want to be EMS, or they want to be fire police officers, whatever it is, just to kind of give them a little bit of direction because I did have some really good mentors growing up and I'm kind of just, I guess I'm at the stage of my career where I can kind of pay it forward, you know, and, and repay the favors that, that I was given, um, when I was coming up. Um, yeah. So Tidy and T, the whole paramedic thing, um, incident management teams, I got assigned to an incident management team in 2007 with Cal fire. Um, I don't work for Cal fire, but, um, Cal fire is a really good, I guess mutual aid, cooperation, collaboration program where they, um, uh, at the time there was 10 teams when I got initially assigned. Um, but because of the number of, of positions they have assigned to the teams, they couldn't fill them all with CAL FIRE folks. So they reach out to local government and contract counties to, to fill some of those positions. So 2007, um, I was assigned to CAL FIRE Instant command team back in the day, command team six as a resource leader. And then in 2013, they reconfigured from 10 teams to six teams, and I was reassigned to to Cal Fire Institute Manager Team Four as a resource unit leader. And then um, from then, I worked my way up to the position I'm in now, which is Plant Section Chief on on Team Four. Um, I kind of I kind of liken the the management teams. The management teams are staffed with the the doers of their respective departments, so it's the people that got. Yeah, I'm sure it doesn't matter what agency or whoever, where you work for Walmart or Del Taco or, you know, a fire department. Um, there's usually a small percentage of folks that do the bulk of the work. And that's, I think that's what the, the management teams are comprised of is that those people that just come to work and they're just workers. Like you, they're just horses. You just give them assignments and they just go knock them out.
0: Yeah. It's like the hitters but of I'm- the group. <laughs> Yeah, yeah yeah and it's and like, so, it's not um, like to take anything off of the you're talking specifically with the incident management like environment that's that's what you're talking about' Because the majority we both know that a majority of the work that goes into fighting fire is actual boots on the ground cool. but there's a yeah, lot correct. of sh- there's a lot of shit that goes on behind the scenes, especially from an i m t perspective
1: yes, yes, um that's an interesting point too because a lot of people look at um the the teams it doesn't matter if it's a fed team a state team a local government team uh, you know you guys are just doing office work if you've never worked in that capacity it's really really hard to understand how much time and effort goes into that and uh, trust me most of us would much rather be on a fire engine or on a hand crew out there doing the actual you know boots on the ground work but somebody has to do the the management team stuff And at some point in your career, if you want to extend your career and still be a part of the program, um, it would be, it would behoove you to go take some, some classes, get some ICS qualifications. But then, you know, once you do it you're like, God damn, this is way harder than I thought it was going to be. But if you've never done it, it's hard to understand. And so uh, for an example, um, the longest drive I've had to make to an incident it was, uh, 2018. I think we we're, we we're down to San Diego for 4th of July. Get the call. My team had coverage that we get the call that we are getting, um, activated to a fire up on the Klamath. So I drove almost from the California Mexican line, uh, you know, the, the counter, the counter, the county line, the country border, I guess. Yeah. All the way up to the, to Wairica, which I think is the last major town before you hit Oregon, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I want to say so. And like, what was that? Siskiyou? Not Siskiyou County. Um, yeah. I think it is, is Siskiyou County. Is it Siskiyou County? Because yeah. that's like right yeah. on the border of Oregon. And then you have to go over Siskiyou Summit to next stop is Ashland.
1: It, but Ashland's in Oregon, correct?
0: Yeah. Ashland's yeah. in Oregon. And
1: so the ICP was at... Um, the fairgrounds there in Wairika. I don't know the name of the fairgrounds, but anyways, I think I left at eight thirty at night or nine o'clock at night. I got into Wairika at eight thirty the next morning, Oof. just to do the in brief, and then you got to go to work. Like there is no doubt, you like okay, I'm going to go um, get a couple hours of shot. I know you've got to go to work. So the first, usually the first couple of days are by far the hardest push. It doesn't matter what section you're in, op section, log section, whatever. Um, the longest I've been up straight was sixty-two hours.
0: Were you hallucinating,
1: oh, bro? It I, it was probably if I had if I could equate it to beers, it was probably like ten beers, you know, ten beers deep.
0: You know what's funny, man? is uh Randy Brooks. He's he was one of my first guests on the podcast. He actually is still doing, is still conducting the study on uh, sleep deprivation and the effects that it has on our first responders, particularly uh, federal wildland fires, uh, firefighters but uh yeah he says that pretty much every four hour increment over 24 hours i'm sure he's going to correct me if i'm wrong here if i'm quoting i'm wrong but every like four hours over staying up for more than 24 hours equates to another beer like if you're up for just 24 hours straight you're already at a 0. one or something like that you're like well above the legal limit like mentally i do
1: not doubt that at all yeah um that long stretch that I did, it was here for a local incident. To be honest with you, it's just terrible to say, I don't remember how I got home because I actually lived close enough where I, after my thing, I, I want to say it was a 20 minute, 25 minute drive from the ICP to my house. I don't remember getting home. I remember my kids being there going, Oh dad, because my kids were young at the time. Um, I think I got like four or five hours of sleep and I got go, I had to go back to work. So yeah, it's, um, it's, I mean, it's no different than if you, you know, if you cruise all night to a fire on a, you know, part of a hotshot crew or a strike team of engines, they consider you fresh because you weren't assigned to the fire line, but you've been driving all night long to get to the fire.
0: Oh yeah. Hey,
1: we're it, putting you on the plan, your day plan, you're going to work.
0: Yeah. And well, that's it's, the thing though. It's like you and I know that's bo- both of us know that's bullshit.
1: But you think about, they're there to relieve the guys that have been working all day and all night from the night before, from the day before. So it, it, everybody's going to get a bite of the shit sandwich for the first couple operational periods. Yeah, you know?
0: I mean, you can only do so. what you can with what you've got.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yep. But, um, yeah. So the, the teams have been really good. Um, obviously I'd still prefer to go out and be a chopper and a squirter, but that's, that's not my lot in life now. Yeah. Um, so it's, let's see. So the team stuff, um I you know, the the transition from a fire captain to a battalion chief, I'm still kind of making that adjustment right now. Um, you know, obviously my job now is primarily administrative versus going out and training with the guys, working out with the guys. Um that's the stuff that I, that's the, the biggest piece that I'm missing so far. Like personally, I go to work, the guys still treat me great and I still eat with them and hang out with them, but not training, not PTing with the guys, that's the part that uh, kind of digs at you. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Well, that's the thing though, but, is like uh, circling back to that uh, conversation we just had is you can't stay operational your entire fire career. You're just going to either break yourself off or you're not going to progress. You'll, with operations, typically you'll reach a point where you can't progress any further. And you brought up a good point to say, yeah, you know, get trained in ops or planning or, uh, or not ops. You can do ops, but the higher level ops stuff or even finance or anything. There's a lot of things that go into fire, man, that people uh, don't really realize because they want to stay operational their entire fire career.
1: Yeah. And you know, the the, the wear and tear of being a wildland firefighter, um, you know, obviously, when we're young, I mean, we're in uh-huh. great shape. Nothing's broken, you know, for the most part. Knees are good, good. Backs are good. Shoulders are good but eventually that's going to wear you down. And, um, the, the superintendent of my crew, he'd been on a hotshot crew. So I got on the crew in 96. He became, um, he was a soup of that crew in 90 89 or 90, but he came from a hotshot crew from Montana prior to that. And he just retired. I want to say in 2015. So he almost his entire career was assigned to a hotshot crew. And when I worked with him, his back was bad. And that was tw- you know, 20 years before. So we did another 20 years after I worked with a guy. Um, yeah. If you want to extend your career, um, you know, work towards that pension or a lifetime medical or whatever it is that your department offers you it, go get some ICS calls and get out there and do some, you know, even if, even if you start as a, a field observer or a line EMT or something like that, you know, get some calls and that's just, you're just building the foundation to get yourself, um, you know, higher up in that, that management, position where eventually the wear and tear is not going to be on your body. It's going to be on your, on your mind.
0: But yeah. Well, it's the thing, man. I, those, I, I'm pretty sure yeah. that everybody out there, if they have kids and a family, they want to be able to you know, throw their kid up in the air when they're two years old and not be physically disabled to where they can't do that or enjoy yes. the shit that they want to enjoy when they're retired because they're broken.
1: And I think that's a part of... The mentoring aspect that sometimes we need to do a better job of telling the the young people is that, hey, it's all great right now, right on the fire engine, working on a hand crew, you're out there doing the hero stuff, but consider the benefits, you know, consider the quality of life of life after you, you know, if you if you if you intend to make this a career, what how do you want to be physically when you're done? You're talking about playing with the grandkids or playing with your whatever it is, playing golf. Dude getting out of bed sometimes. Oh yeah. You got to think about those things because like you said, you cannot be operational the entire career. And if you want to have a long career, um, at least the majority of us can't.
0: So well, ops isn't the end all be all. I mean, like I said, there's a lot of satellite positions that are loosely or directly attached to the operations aspect of fire.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, in the, in the team environment, um, you know, everybody works together. We, every single day we have a command and general staff meeting just to kind of do a pulse check of, of everybody. How's everybody doing? Um, how's your, how are your folks doing? Do you need to cycle anybody out? Do you need to order more folks? Um, whatever it is, but it is truly, at least when you say instant management team for the team that I'm assigned to, um, it's almost like a boundary job. Like we don't work in our individual silos of whether it's operations or it's plans or finance. Uh, one of our team mottos is, or one of the questions is, um, who is the most important member of the team? And a lot of people say, oh, it's the IC or it's operations. And the, the real answer is whoever needs the help at that given time. So it could be, you know, a line EMT that's assigned to logistics.
0: That, that they're, they're the This most meeting important. is being recorded. The heck got just it. happened? I don't know. But I, but I clicked got it. Sorry, I don't know what just happened. I think uh, so. Apologies to everybody that's uh, trying to watch this on YouTube because I'm pretty sure it didn't record that first 30 minutes.
1: Oh, do we have to go do this all over again now?
0: Nah, we're good. We're good. First, send it. We're going live. <laughs> it happens, man. I, I hit the record button and then it stopped. And then I was like, oh, crap.
1: Oh, no worries. Yeah. No worries. Sorry about
0: that. Apologies, everybody. Anyways, dude, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off there.
1: No. So, um, it is the most important person on the team is whoever needs the most help at that given time. Yeah. Um, and so what I really love about my team is that, you know, uh, finance will come over and ask plants, Hey, are you guys doing okay? Do you guys need anything? Because everybody's kind of cross trained a little bit. Um, and a lot, you know, we're all firefighters. We're not rocket scientists. I mean, you don't have to have a four year degree to be successful in, in this. Uh, well, I take that back. Was it McClintock that said that... Um,
0: uh, <laughs> unskilled that laborers. unskilled labor is
1: not... Is that it's unskilled labor?
0: Oh, man. not that pissed to say off that a we lot of to, people. We're man. rocket
1: scientists. But we do have to be somewhat sharp to do this job successfully and safely. So...
0: To say that it's unskilled is a complete and utter disrespect to the men and women that have lost their lives doing this job.
1: Yeah. I Period. agree 100%. And I cannot believe that... It's someone that, and I, I want to say his area is a pretty fire prone area,
0: isn't it? He represents the Stan and National Forest. So yeah, it's a very fire prone area. So to say that is, oh my God, man, it's, it, it blows my mind. And like we're saying here, it, it, you have to be a tactical athlete. You have to be a mechanic. You have to be, you know, all these other things. It's like, what what do you mean unskilled? Yeah,
1: that that's that's a pretty unintelligent, unempathetic, uneducated thing to say. I, I cannot believe that that he went there, but
0: yeah, pissed I'm pretty a lot sure of
1: he's, he's not going to come on the, the podcast and uh, try to apologize or explain what it is I was trying to say.
0: But- you know, if, if McClintock is listening to this podcast, which I doubt he is, um, I'd love to have the opportunity to interview him and uh, try and explain what we do to him, and also I want to see if he can clarify his points of view uh, to maybe walk back some of those statements. Because I'm sure there's more behind that discussion. Because we only see certain points of whatever the reporter is saying, right? There's probably a bigger picture behind that. But I want to make sure, trust but verify, right?
1: Yeah, that's all the whole, whole fact finding thing. Like there's multiple sides to every story, so. Yeah, I guess before we crucify him too much, we should probably give him an opportunity to speak his piece.
0: Yeah. It still
1: looked like shit on, on, in writing though.
0: People are pissed, man. Um, yeah, and I, I, that's the thing that always blows my mind too is like he said that directly about wildland firefighters specifically, but he's not taking to the account that you know municipal par- departments do this like yourself. Um, you got Cal Fire, you got state agencies that are all risk that are doing this that also have those wildland firefighting duties. It is not unskilled labor. It is highly technical and very complex, man. Trying to plan line for you know catching a fire or the just the inherent danger behind it. I mean, for fuck's sake, there was a tornado on a fire right down the street from me the other yesterday actually. And uh, yeah, it's these men and women risk their lives, and they the primary workforce, the majority of them are federal workforce. Uh, they make thirteen forty five an hour. Are you kidding me? Yeah,
1: well, I, I think what Biden was saying that he wanted to temporarily boost it to fifteen dollars an hour, which is at least it's a step in the right direction. It is. Um, it's a it's a temporary fix to a long standing issue that the Fed's been dealing with for a very long time.
0: Um, well, you said it yourself, man. It's even the hiring, man. Like when you first started on the Hotshot crew, you said the competition was pretty pretty gnarly. <laughs> but now with inflation and all these other things, especially the cost of living in California, holy crap, man! You can't survive on a federal forestry technician wage at a GS three through even a nine, it's, it's impossible, man. You can't have a quality of life.
1: And and not to take anything away from, you know, somebody that works at Starbucks or at Walmart or whatever, because, you know, I'm sure their job is hard in some capacity as well, but yeah, there's 99% of the time when they go to work, they have no fear of not being able to make it home from that job. You go out on a fire there is a chance. I mean, it's, if you, if you keep your head on the swivel and you do what you're supposed to be doing, the chances are good. You're going to go back home as well. There's also a chance that there's some stuff that you just can't plan for, you know, snag falling or somebody crossing the over into your lane. I mean, it's just, there's, there's too, there's too much inherent risk in what we do um, to justify paying somebody you know, less than what they earn, or less than what they deserve because what the feds are paying right now is it's an atrocity. It's it's terrible. And they, they need to do a better job.
0: They do, man. And that's the thing. At least we got like grassroots going on behind the scenes and we're uh, in direct contact with some of these legislators that are proposing and we're, you know, in some drafts legislation right now and we're working with these folks to introduce bills to Congress and the House of Representatives. But, uh, you know, the, I think the important thing Takeaway behind Biden's speech is that he's willing to work with these folks and trying to expand not only the workforce but the benefits that uh, the feds are offered, man. Because they're not subjected to presumptive health care at the end of their career, and then what you got until sixty-five before I don't know what fifty percent of the workforce either dies of a heart attack or you know develops some sort of cancer or some shit like that. Like five years after they retire, it's like come on, man. It's like these these people have. They've earned their place yeah they've earned the yep. right to get these benefits so just do it do the do what right looks like man
1: yeah I, I agree hundred percent 100 percent well is there do yeah what what questions have you heard or I guess um, what mysteries are there about um, Cal fire teams or Cal fire incidents I know hotels are always the <laughs> the, hot, <laughs> the hot buttons uh, topic.
0: You guys just have um, a good union and that's the end of the day. It's, I mean, the hotels, it it is what it is, but you guys work 24 on 24 off typically. And uh, you have a strong union representation and you guys earn you guys got that. So yeah, I mean, I I don't think that the hotel thing is going to be a big hot button of concern. Um, But let's just, let's just reel this in for the general public that are are watching this and want to, Understand how an incident is ran. So, let's break down the command structure for a ma- major incident.
1: Okay, as far you're talking about from just an ICS like org chart, or
0: yeah, let's go for the org chart and then like explain like how all these separate uh, positions, what their what their role is in managing an incident.
1: Um. So, as with any incident, it doesn't matter if it's a type five incident to a type one incident um you're always going to have an incident commander um if you're if we're if we're talking about a type one incident like a type one uh where it meets the complexity to require a type one team to come in um you're going to have your incident commander and your deputy incident commander they're both qualified at the same level um so if the ic needs to step away deputy ic is there um assumes control of the incident um, there's no less education, no less experience. Um, one just has to be the, the IC, uh, underneath the IC, you have your command staff, which is going to be your safety officer, your, uh, public information officer and your liaison officer. Um, obviously safety officers responsible overall for the safety of the incident from, um, you know, wearing your PPE on the line to the temperature of the, food in the chow line is that the right is proper, like in, in everything in between, like it's, it's a pretty, um, there's a lot of responsibility being a safety officer, public information officer, obviously responsible for all the, the, um, information releases to the public. Those have to be vetted by the IC. So, um, PIOs don't have the freedom just to release, you know, whatever, you know, size, acreage, uh, evacuations, um, whether it's a warning or an actual, um, uh, um in evacuation order.
0: Kind of like your ready um, set to, go. They have to what's kind that? Like the ready set go kind yeah. of uh, yep. protocols.
1: Yep. That has to be that has to be approved by the IC. Um liaison officer, they deal with all of the um kind of the I don't want to say peripheral, um, but whether it's dealing with law enforcement, dealing with um local like Red Cross, the non-governmental, the NGOs. Um, local groups like animal, animal rescue, um, they or utility companies. The liaison officer deals with, um, with all those folks. And then you have your, your, um, your sections, you have your finance section, your logistics section, your operations section, and your planning section. And obviously finance takes care of all basically paying the bills. Uh, logistics is responsible for, um, every single thing that you have on an incident from the potties to the food, to the comm unit, to sleep trailers. Logistics is responsible for providing all of that stuff for the, for the incident. Um, you think about um, drop points out on the line where maybe they, they put um, extra soft fuel, oil, hose, brass, whatever it is. Logistics is responsible for getting that there and also getting it back from the line. So, you know, some of these fires you're going to have, few hundred thousand feet of hose that logistics is responsible for getting back from the line, cleaning, rolling and getting
0: back to the cache. Don't forget the testing too. What's that? Don't forget about the testing too.
1: Yep. Yep. Um, Operations, obviously responsible for putting the fire out. Um, And then plans is responsible for tracking all the resources, building the IP, um, ordering resources, canceling resources, um, you know, facilitating all the the meetings, whether it's the operational briefing or planning meeting or the command general staff meeting. Um, but you know, you take that all together, like for my team, I think we have 57 members assigned to the team, give or take one or two members. So that's in 2021, you go back to like 2002 you might've had a a type one incident management team or incident command team as they were called back then might have 12 people. And that's so from, it's grown tremendously. Like we just added a food unit leader, um, last year, which I can't believe that we didn't have a food unit leader assigned because, you know, (laughs) obviously the, the catalyst for me even being on this team is because of a post, um, I replied to on Hotshot Brewery regarding, um, the food. I I forgot. I think it might've been the lava fire. I don't want to call anybody out, but it was a, it was a fire up in Northern California and, and they were talking about how terrible the food was. And, uh, I said, you know, food and sleep are the two biggest things that you can, that you can provide quality sleep to keep the troops happy and keep them productive. And
0: you need fuel and recovery, man. Period.
1: Yep. And I don't care if it's an air conditioned tent, if it's a sleep trailer, if it's a hotel room,
0: local high doesn't school matter.
1: I mean, shoot. When I, when I was doing it, um, working night assignments sucked oh, yeah. because you sleep during the day. Well, when I did it, there was no air conditioned tents. You find some shade and then you chase the shade as you're, you know, as the sun moves, you wake up, you got ants on you or flies or whatever, whatever it was. I mean, but yeah, sleep and food are the two biggest things that you can provide. And so I, I would, it, you know, for any, any firefighter out there, if, if you think that the logistical support that you're getting is not, up to par. You need to go talk to somebody. I mean, for, for Cal Fire teams, the the team members are identified because we all wear red hats. So if you have team four, which is the team that I'm assigned to, if you have us as your team, we welcome that feedback, positive and negative, because we want to do a good job for you. And if we're not meeting the, if we're not towing that line, please grab somebody with a red hat and say, Hey, you know, try to do it as respectfully as you can.
0: Yeah. Be professional Um, about it
1: yeah, be professional about it, but just say, Hey, you know what? The the sleep environment or, um, the traffic flow or whatever it is. Um, we think you guys can do a little bit a better job and we will, cause we want to do a good job for you guys. But, um, if you don't bring it up, we're not going to know.
0: Yeah. Well, how can you um, know unless you bring it up? That's the thing.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, it's like I told my wife, I'm not a mind reader. You got to tell me if I'm doing something that's pissing you off. <laughs> Heard so, <that>. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's kind of the, that's, you know, a real quick nuts and bolts breakdown of um, the ICS structure. It obviously gets a lot more in depth than that. And, but that's kind of the the overarching view of of what it is to be on a type one incident from the management team perspective.
0: Yeah. And then after that, you got, you know, your divisions and so on and so forth, aviation, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. There's a lot of moving yeah. parts to a major incident, especially an emerging incident. It's, utter chaos at times especially in those emerging incidents but uh yeah I mean I don't think that the general public understands that you're organizing a small army and you're responsible for feeding them keeping them safe keeping them uh, well rested and keeping them productive so you can fight fire
1: yeah. all of that yes but you know even knowing where they are you know talking about resource accountability or tracking, um and that falls in my shop my my job is if somebody comes in and says hey i need to know where firefighter smith is he's assigned to you know 9310 charlie uh, we need to know where they are whether they're out on the line if they're on a line you know what branch what division are they working in um or if they're on downtime r and r what hotel are they staying at you know or are they in a sleep trailer in in camp that's our job because you know if they have um, something going on at home that someone try to get hold of them it's our job to be able to, to know where they're at. And that's, a uh, you know, it doesn't matter if you're, like I said, if you're on a, a single family dwelling structured fire in your local city, resource tracking, resource accountability is always going to be a big thing. So nice. Um, let, let's see what else on the, what else on the team, the team side of it.
0: Um, I got a question for you. So, yes. rumor has it that Cal Fire is putting together like SISM teams that are staffing major fires. I think it's Type Two and Type One fires. So your your major fires, and uh, they're having clinicians that are culturally competent and trained to deal with wildland firefighters and the aspects and of uh, of wildland fire on staff in uh, your incident command post. Is that true or?
1: So um, those are typically. they they do have teams. Yes, they do have teams. Um, Cal fire does a really, really good job with it's called ESS or employee support services. And they have a bunch of folks that are, that have been firefighters or are very familiar. So you're talking about the culturally competent clinicians, right? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Um, somebody that understands the stresses and the traumas that we're exposed to on a daily basis versus just going through your like your normal EAP and just talking to a therapist or a counselor that maybe they don't understand. And you're telling them about something that is affecting you and they're crying because you're telling them about, you know, kids are always the worst calls, but you're telling them about a, a kid call that you want and that's affecting them. Like, Hey, I came to you for help. And I know you, you need help. So having, so ESS through Cal Fire does a really good job of, um, of bringing folks into, and they're not pushy about it. Like they'll set up a trailer and they'll say, Hey, ESS, um, is over in that trailer. If, if you, and they'll, they'll make their rounds and they'll talk to people and they'll, um, just say, Hey, I'm here. If you need me, I'm over in that trailer. I'll tell you one of the coolest things that, that they did. And I'm not a big pet person. I didn't think that was, but a few years ago I was on a fire. It's a long fire. You know, as the fire seasons, you talk about the last probably, seven or eight years it seems like fire seasons are getting longer and longer and the incidents are getting longer and longer and ess came through and they just brought a couple of dogs or just
0: some therapy dogs
1: of, yeah just a couple of therapy dogs and and i saw that dog and instantly i was like i felt better and oh, yeah, i'm not dude. a pet person per se so i said hey come over here bring your dog over here and they uh, they brought cats in i mean i think they had a mule or a donkey or a miniature <laughs> horse or something come through one time, but it's amazing. The effect, like the calming effect that, um, them bringing those therapy animals in has it's, it's, it's pretty cool. I actually took a picture of, of one of them sent them to my kids and said, Hey, look who, look who's in fire camp today. But, um, they don't just come out. They have to be ordered those, those support teams. Um, but that's kind of the job of the incident commander. And actually it's, it's the call of the IC, but RIC is really good about taking input from the folks. And if there is an, um, you know, an incident, like whether it's an incident with an incident or we had something traumatic happen on an incident, we'll talk about, is this worth having, you know, ESS come in with um, just, to, just to set up and just to be available. And 99% of the time, you know, as long as the the teams aren't stretched so thin so thin that they can't come out to our incident. The, the call is always going
0: to be yes. Um, nice. Yeah. I, they, was, I was under the impression they're that they're kind of out. like attached to the teams, the individual teams.
1: No, no, not yet. Um, but they definitely are on speed dial, so to speak, if, um, if there is something so like the car fire a few years ago, I mean, they had that, huge fire NATO go through there and, and, you know, killed a bunch, you know, killed the dozer operator, killed the, the local reading uh, prevention officer. Um, I want to say there was a, um, a grandma and a couple of kids that died in that fire or in that fire NATO itself.
0: Yeah. It was a legitimate tornado that was made of fire.
1: And, um, I'm sure you've seen the videos. Um, I was the plant's chief filling in on that team for the first few days and, um, one of the guys, uh, he was he was a, he was assigned to the team, but he was a local guy. So he drove me out there, and it was amazing the amount of energy that that thing had. Um, you know those those electrical towers that are like 120 feet
0: tall, yeah, big, big high tension lines.
1: Yep, um, those were torn to shreds. They were wrapped around trees. Uh, there was a Conex box. It was probably eight eight feet by twenty feet. It picked it up and moved it a couple hundred feet. Like it was amazing energy that went through there. Um, yeah, that. But uh, any uh, a support team came in for that one, and you can even see the like these are veteran firefighters that have twenty plus years of experience, and they were affected. I, and I was on that night when it happened because I was I was the night plans chief, so I'm responsible for building the IP for that night. Um. And operations that the, the whole teamwork thing, you know, operations has to come in and say, Hey, this is what we want. This is what we need. Um, this is, these are the, whatever it is. Well, I hadn't got that, those inputs yet because they were dealing with this fire NATO and I'm like, bro, it's nine o'clock right now. Like you still have a job to do. Let's, let's, let's get it together take five, 10 minutes, whatever you need to take. We still have to go get, we still have a job that needs to get done Yeah, because we still have to, we still have a plan that we need to put together for tomorrow. But um, you're talking about guys with 20 plus years of experience that were. we're all human. Like we're going to be affected. And it was, it was one of the, I guess the, the most traumatic incidents that I've been on just because of it's a close knit community. Um, you know, you have firefighter and civilian deaths as a result of this, this unexpected fire NATO, but, uh, yeah, that's definitely something where ESS and they did bring therapy animals in, they did set up a trailer. It was right in the middle of trailer row. So you, it wasn't like on the outskirts where you had, it was, you saw that thing every single day and I'll give the guys credit, the guys and gals credit. I saw people going in and out of those doors a lot. So It's good that we, I really, really like where the fire service is going over the last couple of years, as far as, you know, being more aware of the importance of mental health. And, and that was one of the things that I, you know, I hit you up on if We can please talk about this because the stigma or the, the bravado that we bring into this, or that's, you know, a part of this culture, we need to, we need to get over that
0: um hundred percent hundred percent
1: i want to say it was on your podcast i listened to a few days ago that somebody said that the majority of firefighter fatalities now are are now suicide versus cardiac which it's traditionally been cardiac um we need to be monitoring ourselves monitoring our people um if you see somebody that's not acting appropriately or they seem just like they're down or you know they're All of a sudden, they're negative. Like, take that person aside and say, "Hey, what's going on? Is there is there anything that I can do to help you out with?" Like, because, uh, like, I just had a a really, really good friend um, whose son committed suicide the other day. He was a firefighter paramedic, super good dude. I've known him since he was a kid. I didn't know him as well as as his pops does, but I can't imagine the the pain and the suffering that, that his family is going through right now. And and I'm sure that there was probably some signs that, you know, if, if we, you know how we are, like, I'm good. I don't I'm, no, I'm good. I'm, I'm good, I'll, bro. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Um, and I'm sure there were some, things, some things that were going on that, you know, somebody should have been a little bit more persistent and said, bro, no, you're not good let's, let's go, let's go get some help or let's just sit down and talk about it, try to figure this out together. And if we can't, then we'll go get some help. But, um, you yeah, know, my department, um, we're developing a health and wellness uh, program within the department. We have a uh, next strong as part of that. Um, Shout out we to have any, yeah, next strong doing some, some awesome, great work man. out there for, for everybody. Um, but, you know, overall we need to get rid of that, that whole ego, that ego is not your amigo thing. Like put that pride aside. Like at some point we are, everybody's cup is a little different. Oh yeah. You know, some people, some people can take more than others and some people just want incident that, you know, puts them over the edge. But, um, at some point we're all going to need help. Um, and I I listened to a a thing the other day where they, they basically said, don't wait until you need the help. Like, establish that connection early uh, find a therapist or a counselor that, that you kind of jive with. Um, and then when you actually do need the help, you already have a, you already have an established relationship. Like that's, I mean, that's sounds pretty common sense and logical to me.
0: Yeah. When well, I was interviewing Shannon Mead, she's a local therapist here, a uh, local clinician here. And she was saying the exact same thing. It's like, no, it's the beginning of the season right now. I think I recorded with her in like middle of May. And she was saying the time to seek mental help or mental health help is now before the fire season even starts. That way you already have that rapport with your clinician.
1: Yeah. Listen to Shannon. She knows what she's talking about. Um, but, you know, uh, whether you're on a hand crew or you're on an engine crew or you're you're in fire camp, you know, as, as part of a team, like for the most part, we all know what normal behavior is for for each of our comrades and and team members. If you see somebody that's not acting normal, you know, they're a little bit down or a little bit more short, um, those, you know, file those things away. Those are some some watch out signs that basically are saying like something, something's going on. And it could be as simple as they didn't get enough sleep that night or, you know, uh, they missed their kid's birthday, whatever the case is. But um we do we need to do a better job of, of taking care of each other
0: absolutely so, man absolutely
1: 100% and and i think you know for guys that are like me um that are a little bit older have a little bit more seniority um if we set the example by saying hey it's okay, like basically you're saying it's okay like if you go get help like tell your folks like hey i i'm seeing a therapist i'm seeing a counselor there's no there's no shame in it maybe by by the senior guys or or gals doing that it it might kind of break that stigma that, Hey, you know what? Birch is getting it. Why can't, you know, I have similar, I am having trouble sleeping at night. Um, you know, or whatever, whatever your, your watch out sign is, um, I should go get some help too. If if it's okay for him, why can't it be okay for me?
0: Yeah. And that's the thing too. It should be a point of pride, not like some sort of some weird stigma where you think you're, you're weak or something like that. It should be a point of pride that you're seeking help.
1: Well, I don't remember who it was, but like you, Hey, when you go work out, like you're working out your, your legs and your back and your core and you know, your shoulders, well, why can't you work out your mind? Like, what do you do to work out your mind? You know, um, you should put as much if probably not a little bit more into your mental health than you do into your physical health. And they're all tied in together. Oh yeah. You know, if mentally you're fucked, how do you think you're eventually, your family life's going to be bad. Your work life's going to be bad. I mean, it just, it's all tied in together, you know, work on it all together.
0: Oh yeah. You need total to total wellness. That's the thing too. Is like, we, we always live this life. It's, it's like part of our culture We're so heavily ingrained into our culture that we just work hard, we play hard and we don't really take care of ourselves at the end of the day. And I think that, that, that mindset is finally starting to change. And it's only been in like the recent past, maybe five years. So because I got to see during my fire career, I got to see like the tail end of the old school and the beginning of the new school of school of thought for fire. And that's, you know, fighting fire differently. It's taking care of your body, PTing different. I mean, it used to be just like running pull-ups and push-ups. That's all you did for PT and you hiked your ass off. But now you're like throwing things in there like, oh yeah, you're doing like, these weird ass like core stability things or yoga yoga. Yeah. I'm a huge proponent of yoga, man. And now we're seeing the more mental component of that. And I'm fucking stoked to see that.
1: Yeah. My, so my kids are 21 and 17 or actually she'll be, she keeps reminding me she'll be 21 in eight days. Cause then legally she can buy a, a drink out of in the town, which <laughs> we're going to on the 19th. But um, I have so much hope um for the for today's generation of kids that are coming up because I think there's they're a lot more accepting, they're more open-minded, at least in my experience. Um and I think that a lot of the things that you know the whole suck it up and do your job, that mentality, they they ask a lot more questions, which is good because if you don't ask the question, then I'm just gonna assume that you know what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. But um I think today's generation coming up in if you, if as senior leaders, if we can open our minds up a little bit to what is it that they're experiencing or what is it that they're going through, it's going to help us understand to motivate them better, to make them more productive employees, um, to keep them happy. Happy employees are generally productive employees, um, but just the whole acceptance part and being open minded. I think a lot of this stuff is eventually going to, you know, it has the the ebb and flow, the roller coaster, you know or cyclical. Some people will say, um, eventually we're going to get to the point where it's okay to, to get help. It's okay to say, I don't know. And that's, you know, even for me, I'm 47 and I keep telling my kids, it's the whole practice, what you preach thing. Hey honey, it's okay to say, I don't know, or I don't have the answer, but I struggle with that every single day. Like I feel like I have to have the answer. Like I'm the dad, you know, I'm the, I'm the matriarch or the uh, patriarch of the family supposed to have the answer but it's hard to say sometimes say you know let me get back to you on that one
0: let me let me do a little research before i answer that one but that's that's Mm -hmm. the thing too though it's like it's it's our job to pass down our values and build that foundation for the next generation so they're just better and that constant betterment of your foundation makes for better firefighters in the future so that's our job man
1: yep i agree 100 percent If we're, if we, if we're in it for the right reasons, if, you know, um, you know, that's whole, it's that whole, uh, uh, critical thinking, you know, if you, uh, what I try to do every night before I go to bed, or when I lay down to go to bed is kind of evaluate what it was that I did during that day. And is there anything that I would do differently? Um, is there anything that I could handle, have handled differently? Um, just kind of do like a little self analysis and it, it doesn't have to be, it can be any, it can be when you wake up in the morning, it just think about what it is you're doing you know, is what you're doing in line with your personal values. Um, and if you don't, maybe you haven't formalized those personal values, maybe that's where you start, like sit down and go, what's important to me and what's going to help me be successful. What's going to help me pass on those really good traits to my kids or to my crew or to whoever it is that you know, you're know you responsible for developing. Um, sit down and do that. and And I think from that point, everybody's going to, you know, we're going to start, Going in the right direction, because right now, you know, you look at how the how the the country is so divided. You're either red or you're blue. You're either, you know, Republican or you're Democrat.
0: Good old fashioned political litmus test.
1: Yeah. You cannot be anywhere in the middle. Yeah, you man, in the middle. If you're a Republican and you say, hey, that Democrat has a pretty good idea, then all of a sudden you're a traitor to that party. Um, we, we need to get more in the middle.
0: Yeah. You know, do what makes sense. What does right look like? And I'm not talking exactly. like political, right? I'm talking about like, what does correct look like? Yes. Yes.
1: Yes. And I don't want to, I don't want to turn this into a, a, a political podcast. because that
0: phew. There's a bag. Yeah. That's a big <laughs> bag of worms, man. I try not to get political on the show either. Um, I mean, I have my own values and I'm pretty, pretty center, I guess you could say, but, uh, yeah, man, I just, I just don't understand what is with the popularity behind the political purity test that everybody adheres to, whether you're this side or the other, I, I just don't get it. And if you don't pass one of those little litmus tests. Well, then you're, like you said, a traitor to your party or whatever.
1: It's like my, my wife and I were on, we're kind of on opposite sides of the line, but we're, we're kind of close to the middle, mm-hmm. but we're, she's definitely a little bit more on the, the liberal side. I'm a little bit more on the conservative side. And what we've kind of agreed on is that, We both want to get to a similar spot, like we happy, successful. You know, we raise a couple of good human beings. Like we want to get to the same spot. We're just taking different paths to get there. But ultimately, I think as a country, we all want to get to a similar spot where, you know, Mm -hmm. we're all happy. We're, you know, comfortable. The the family's good, whatever it is. Just we need to get more.
0: Yeah, we need to do what makes sense. You need to do what makes
1: sense.
0: Yeah, that's okay. the thing too. Is like, yeah, man, you, you need to talk, and that's what the whole basis of this okay. whole thing is, right? It's a, it's, it's a, it's a science experiment, right? Our country is founded off of a science experiment. Is it a utopia? Hell no. But no other country is. But you know, this one's pretty damn good. We got a pretty good, good over here. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, you know what? One thing I did, um, as far as like fires and team and stuff like that, is the whole COVID thing. Um. Yeah. You, know, you know I think we're getting. We're getting out of it. I think we're on the Thank right track God. for that. I haven't heard anything this year yet as far as um, mask. I mean, in California, the mask mandate was lifted on June 15th. So I think the only place you have to wear a mask now is any, like, travel, like at the airport or bus depot or whatever. But um, I haven't heard anything about in fire camp having to. But last year sucked because it was in the middle of it. My first activation was to the gold fire up on the last in modoc um and, have, and i wasn't there was no vaccinations available yet they hadn't really been you know they're still testing them out but it sucked because you know as a you know i'm the plant section chief so i'm front and center during you know in that operational briefing in the morning time and i felt like i had to have that mask on to set that good example but god damn it sucked so bad or thing.
0: oh yeah man. it was i
1: mean it was terrible
0: That's another thing, too, that was unnecessarily politicized, I think, too, is like the whole masks or this, that and the other. It's just like, God, man, come on, just just do what makes sense. (laughs) It's God. Uh. Well, in,
1: in our to our IC's credit, he told his bosses like, hey, we're not the COVID police. Like, we'll put the signs up. Hey, wear a mask. Wear a mask when you're in the chat line. Wear a mask when you're at their operational briefing like we'll put the signs up but it's not our job to enforce that. So, yeah. You know, I tell them in the morning, "Hey, if you're going to be in the operational briefing, it's expected you wear a mask, blah blah blah." But we're not, not going to go individually and call people out like, "Hey, do put your mask on." Like you know what's right and you know what's wrong.
0: Well, I think it's yeah. also an individual like responsibility to do what you feel is right. I mean, I'm not an anti-masker, I'm not an anti-vaxer. Um, I'm not for mandatory uh vaccinations or anything like that, but I think it people need to understand that there's an individual responsibility. You know the risks. You know that you might have risk factors outside your family or your fellow firefighter or this that and the other. So, at the end of the day, if you want to play dumb games, you win dumb prizes.
1: Yep. Yep, for sure. And it's like so we we flew back from Tennessee um, yesterday we went on a little family vacation before fire season really kicks off just to have a one more week of downtime and kind of recharge batteries. And so in, you know, airports, you got to wear a mask on the airplane. You got to wear a mask with my daughter's sitting next to a, a girl and the entire time she's sneezing, coughing. Like and it's, I'm, I'm hoping it was allergies, but I'm thinking at least she's got a mask on. So there's a little bit of protection, but I mean, they're sitting right next to each other. So like, all right, honey, well, yeah. And she's been vaccinated, so if it's COVID, I'm not super worried. Even if it was a cold, I'm not super worried about it. She's young, healthy, her immune system's working.
0: Yeah, but it still sucks. She's- no one likes getting sick. Nobody likes getting sick, period. But yeah. that is
1: one, I guess, positive aspect of this whole mask mandate over the last year was that, what kind of flu season did we have? I-
0: I don't even know. I don't even think we really had a flu season this year just because yeah. of like the everybody was, you know, doing what they were supposed to do uh, when they learned what they learned in kindergarten, which was to wash your hands, cough into your yep. elbow or something yep. like that. It's like, come on. So,
1: so there was some benefits to wearing the mask is, you know, flu and cold season kind of went away last year. Um, but I, hey, if I don't ever have to wear another mask, you're not going to, I'm not going to complain. Like, I'm, I'm pretty much over it, dude. Oh, um I'm ready to get back to, to normal. And I'll tell you, we went to Gatlinburg. That's like redneck Vegas there. I mean, it was the, the streets are just lined with people. Um, there's shops everywhere. It it was awesome. Like I can say, Gatlinburg is back. If, I don't know if they ever went away, but um the tourism was crazy insane. It's it was like it was like Vegas, like the streets were just jam packed, and everybody's having a great time, and we had a great time. We almost had a little bit too much fun on a couple of nights, but hey, that's what vacations for. So,
0: oh yeah, you know, <laughs> well, that's a crazy thing, though. I'm just like, I know we're hammering home this COVID thing, but I'm just happy to see things like that we we've all taken for granted, like Fourth of July fireworks, man. To actually be able to see fireworks and not have them canceled because of a virus. That's, yes, it's important to your mental health, and that's for not only just you and me, but everybody in this country. Mm-hmm. it's huge. Yep. Things like going to Gatlinburg.
1: For sure, I 100% agree on that. Um, You know, and there's that whole—I I, don't—I'm going to call it COVID depression, but
0: it's dude, a real when, thing, dude. It's—it was a real thing, and Shannon and I actually talked about that too.
1: Uh, um, you know what? Was she was she the one talking about memory
0: loss too? Yep. <laughs> the covid blackout
1: <laughs> what happened for the last month i don't did i black out I, I i'll tell you i was in the best shape of my life i i um ordered a bunch of stuff online installed the gym in the garage because all the gyms were closed down Yep. and dude i was working out two three times a day because what else can i do i can't go to a store can't go to a movie theater yeah can't go to you know a baseball game so shit I guess I'll go work out again.
0: <laughs> it's either that um, or you I just you start COVID hitting the bottle. In, what's that? It's either that or you start hitting the bottle, which a lot of uh, people did. But,
1: and I'm not a big drinker, um, but I got into IPAs pretty good. So
0: There's nothing wrong with the occasional IPA.
1: <laughs> no, no. My, my brothers, uh, I have a couple of brothers that are younger than me. They're twins, but uh, they were always talking shit on me because I was always like uh, lighter beers and they're uh, basically said, welcome to man when I started drinking IPAs. so <laughs> Thanks boys. I appreciate, I appreciate you welcoming me into the, uh, into the official man group because I drink like, real beers now, I guess.
0: Oh man. But, oh yeah. I was spoiled. That. I, I lived in central Oregon for a little while. So I was spoiled with the whole good beer thing.
1: You know what I didn't. Uh, so in Chico, they have the Sierra Nevada brewery, right? I
0: literally had my bachelor party there. Is you really? Yep. We went to Chico uh-huh. of all places. I could have gone anywhere. I wanted like, nope, we're going to Sierra Nevada.
1: Did you know there's there's a Sierra Nevada brewery in um Tennessee as well?
0: Yeah, the East Coast. It's uh I think in Asheville, right?
1: Yeah, uh, not Tennessee, in in North Carolina. North Carolina, yeah. 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 Um we're driving we went drove to go see a friend. He uh the, my buddy that lives in North Carolina. Like, holy shit, that's a Sierra Nevada. I thought they're Chico, I thought they're up Northern California, I guess they have one on the East coast too.
0: They've infiltrated the East coast.
1: Um, cool thing about Sierra, Sierra Nevada is that, um, the campfire in 2018, I want to say it burned what's 18,000 homes or something like that. It was a lot. Um, it was in the middle of Thanksgiving. My team was assigned to that incident and, um, our information officer was a stud uh, shout out to Steve Coppen from Ventura County Fire. He is the best PIO I've ever worked with. Um, he reached out to Sierra Nevada, um, brought in a couple of celebrities, and then we took turns. We would um, we had rotations where Sierra Nevada we, they they had Thanksgiving dinner at the brewery, and it was free for anybody from Chico, anybody from Paradise, anybody from Magalia, and so so kind of the. You know, a little morale boost for people that lost literally everything they in, own in their entire lives. And the the local brewery there opened up their doors to say, hey, we want you guys to still have Thanksgiving. And then all the firefighters would go down there because they even reached out to firefighters that were on were on their downtime on R&R. Like, hey, if you guys want to take a turn, come in here and serve some food or bust some tables or, you know, just meet and greet and let the people say thanks. It was a pretty amazing experience. I'm not going to lie. I got a little choked up a couple of times. Um, listening to the stories of some of the people. There's some amazing, amazing people up there. We went out to dinner one night, um, just cause you get tired of camp food. And so um, we went out to dinner one night and I, there's a, a, a family of four or five sitting at the local Mexican restaurant and I'm just, I'm ear hustling. And I hear them talking about like it was um, mom and dad and then they had adult children. Both of them lost their homes,
0: Ooh.
1: and yeah, and so I go over and I kind of catch the attention of the server and I said, "Hey, bring their ticket to this table." And so we kind of did it on the slide. We, we paid for their for their meal, and um, when they found out about it, they were you know open arms and they're like, "We should be buying you guys dinner." I'm like, "What are you talking about? You literally lost everything that you own in your entire lives. This is the least we can do is to you know buy a meal for you guys, but." I just, I think it goes to show the, the character of the people in those communities up there that, you know, they're, they're thinking they should be taking care of us and we're the public servants paid to take care of them. Just so there's some amazing people around this country. If you really, I told my kids, when you wake up in the morning, you're either going to have a good day or a bad day. And that's all up to you. Like if you, if you wake up and go today, I'm gonna have a great day. Chances are, you're going to have a great day. But if you wake up in a bad mood and say, ah, I got a headache or this day I got homework or whatever it is. That's your choice. Oh yeah. You, it's your choice. If you're going to be, if you're going to have a good day or a bad day, but
0: what's well, the thing too, is like we can, you know, we can't control a lot of the things that happen in life. A lot of it's completely out of our control, but we, what we can control is our reaction to it.
1: Yeah. A hundred percent, a hundred percent agree to that. Um, it, there's just there's just so many things that you have no control over. It's just, but you can't control which how you react to it. Like you just said.
0: Oh yeah. Man. So, speaking of um, control and being able to uh, react to things, we got wildly off topic there. So let's bring it back oh. into the plans plan section, t- Chief here. So, <laughs> apologies, man. We went on a tangent. And so, plan section, Chief. Speaking of the campfire and the car fire, so. When it comes to plans, when you have a catastrophic fire like this, how would you organize that i mean what would be plans role in that whole thing
1: so, is getting um, screwed
0: over you know
1: <laughs> well so if you if you go through any type of um management training, whether it's you know s four twenty or um s five twenty which is the the federal um advanced incident management training, um, California or Cal fire has two. they have the SIMC, which is complex incident management. And then they have aim, which is all hazards, all hazards, incident management. Aim is kind of the the upper echelon where if you go through aim, I want to say it's a nine or a 10 day course and there are no fire scenarios in there. Everything is like cat flu or a train derailment or an earthquake or a pandemic, Um, but the thing that they teach in, in, in doesn't matter what level 420, 520, SIMC, AIM is process, process, process. And so you have to have your process outlined, um, and what it is you're supposed to do. And and it's no different than if you're an EMT and you're, you're going through your, you know, your, your normal medical, your patient assessment survey, your OP, QRST sample, whatever it is. If you get off track, like we've done a couple of times on this podcast already, um, (laughs) You're supposed to refer back to your process to get you back in line. So, as as callous as it might seem, whenever you have like you know uh, a near miss, or you have an actual burnover, or you have a fatality, um, or anything mm. bad in general um, on an incident, we're still the professionals. We still have a job to do. We can't be sidetracked, um, you know, by those things because we you know like on the was it the butehama i can't remember if it was the butehama glenn complex or if it was the august complex we had that uh, firefighter fatality um she was from texas but she was working for, for a contractor from oregon and i was listening to the radio when that mayday went out and i'm like oh shit there's something legit going on right now ended up unfortunately she she died but there was a couple of other injuries so you know it's an incident with an incident you got to get resources in there to you know try to affect some type of rescue or medevac or you know take care of the people that are involved in the incident or in that in that situation but it can't sidetrack the rest of the incident there's still a fire to put out there's still logistical support that needs to be ordered or provided um, there's still plans that need to be built so to answer your question on what plans component is are we're kind of the process police like it's our job to make sure that everybody yes we have to address those incidents with an incident but we still have to make sure that everybody is on track to to get their inputs in on a timely manner to to build that next plan for the next for the next operational period
0: so so i do 214s and that kind of stuff like talking to n magazine if you can get more resources and reprioritizing your fire that kind of thing
1: um yeah, that's that's kind of yeah, that's that's part of it, but it's more just the internal to the incident process. Um, you know, whether it's hey, for operations guys, what resources do you need to um to function on your divisions and branches on the next operational period? What you know, do you need to order more hand crews, more engines, whatever it is? Um what are your work assignments for that? That, that all that stuff still needs to be be captured. Um and that's why it's good to have a little bit of depth. Because and and going back to that, you know, who's the most important member of the team? Well, if operations is dealing with a, you know, a line of duty or a burnover on one of their divisions, well then, for the other other components of the team can step in there and help him do his, you know, help him keep his process going. And that's that's only built through, you know, incidents and rapport and relationships and you know having having previous experience because then you build that trust that hey, um, operations is taking care of this. I know what it is they need. I'm not going to wait for him. I'll let him know when he gets available, but we still need to keep, you know, this train moving forward. So plans is the process, police, And it's, I kind of wear it as a a badge of honor. Like, hey, it is my job to, you know, to get people on back on track or um, give them the right direction whatever, whatever it is that's needed at that time. But yeah, those, those situations suck because, you know, we're all human and we all want everybody to go home safely. But again, like I said, you kind of got to be a little bit callous to and be like, all right, that, that sucked. But you know what? I still have a job to do.
0: Well, yeah, it's important so, work, though, because I mean, the, the fire is still rolling through, you know, it, it's it's still going and you still have, you know, future resource or resource needs. You have future values at risk and you still need to put the fire out at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, you still need to take care of all of the other people that weren't affected, you know. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, the big part is that, OK, so all of the people that were affected by that that incident was an incident because um, they're all touching each other. So the neighboring divisions, they heard the traffic. They probably sent resources over there to help out as well. Um, you know, the helicopter that flew the burn victim out the crew that had to go in there and retrieve the, the body, like uh, how are they being affected? Like what support or therapy are they going to need? So we, you know, that whole team effort, we all need to, to keep track of each other and be, Hey, that was a really terrible incident that just happened. I'll give you a little bit of time to think about it, but I'm going to come back to you, you to make sure you're doing all right. So Yeah, it's, um, there's some, don't get me wrong. The, the majority of the incidents that we go on are fun and successful. We have a great time, but just like anything else in life, there's going to be some shitty components or some shitty aspects to, to the incidents. And, you know, it's our job to, you know, to make sure that everybody goes home in as good a shape or better than when they actually arrived at the incident. And and that's what we strive for every time. So health and safety is one of the the, um, values of the team, um, at least for Team 4. So we have professionalism, health and safety. um, And I'm brain farting right now. Professionalism. Professionalism, health and... Well...
0: (laughs) I got you, man. So (laughs) plans. Now, plans, they basically... Not only do you like the IAP, the, I mean, the, you guys print maps and stuff like that. You guys do you you disseminate information to the boots on the ground at the end of the day. Now, how does that work? Do you guys, do you guys, interoperate with ops? Do you interoperate yes. with IC? All of it. Like, how does that whole thing shake down?
1: Um, so there's a there's a planning process or the planning P. You can look it up. You can do just type in planning P. Um, and it'll, it'll give you, it looks like a P and it goes through from the initial in brief, um, all the way until you get into your planning cycle. So on a 24 hour, um, operational period, like most Cal fire incidents are run, you have your operational briefing at 0700. Um, that is the, um, culmination of all of the work that's, that's being done. And it, and it culminates in the operational briefing. Um, generally we like to keep those briefings to 30 minutes or less. Um, had an old, um, I who basically said, be brief, be brilliant and be seated. So don't be up there talking long winded about this, that, or the other, like, get your point across. Let's move on to the next person. Cause the, the bottom line is the sooner that we get folks out of that operational briefing, they do the vision breakouts, they get out to the line to relieve the resources that you know, have been out there for the last 24 hours. Um, but throughout the day, we're always gathering. Into, we're always gathering that intel. Um, operations will be will be pinging their divisions and branches, usually like around twelve o'clock, one o'clock. Um, hey, what resources are are you going to need for the next operational period? That that information gets channeled to the ops section chief, um, usually around 1500, 1,600. hundred, sixteen hundred. You'll have operations. You'll have a resource unit leader. You'll have a safety officer, and you'll have a logistics guy. Those are the four main guys. Or, folks that need to be in this, um, we call it our tactics meeting. Um, we, that's supposed to be a smaller, more intimate, um, meeting so that when operations lines out what it is that they want to do for the next operational period that, um, cause you know, the more people you get into a group, the less likely someone is to, you know, bring forward any objections like, Hey, logistically, you want to put on this burn show, but we don't have the firing devices or the drip mixed. to uh, like we need to order that stuff. You need to give us a day or two to, to order all that stuff. Um, so the more people you get into that tactics meeting, the less likely that someone's going to object. So we'll try to keep that one nice and small, but kind of it is good for the commune leader. Um, because if they're going to create more divisions, well, the commune leader, that's going to affect his comp plan because he's now he's going to have to create, get more tack channels for those divisions. Um, and then if we can have the sit unit leader in there as well, because the SIP unit leader, every single day at 0600 and at 1800, there's called the 209, the incident status summary. And it basically this is what's sent to the GACS. Um, and they prioritize the incidents based on that 209. So what resources do you need? You know, what's the containment percentage? How big is the fire? What's the anticipated growth? What are the what resources are you gonna need to be successful in the next 12, 24, 48, 72 hours? Um, so if he can get like glean some information out of that tactics meeting that's going to make his timeline a little bit more manageable or achievable. Um, Once they get out of that tactics meeting, that's kind of, that's where they line out um, the the division breakdown, branch breakdown, work assignments, what resources are going to be requested. Um, Then it goes into the planning meeting. The planning meeting is where um, all the, the command general staff, as well as any other stakeholders um, or unified ICs are going to participate. So you might have the sheriffs in there. You might have, um, uh, local utilities that are in there. Um, you might have local logging companies that are in there. Anybody that's going to be affected by the, by the incident, um, isn't, it's is kind of invited into that planning meeting. And that's where the next operational plan is laid out. Um, to, Operations to talk about. Hey, this is the work that we got done today. This is what the work that we want to get done tomorrow. There'll be um, an IMET or incident meteorologist will get up there and give the weather predictions for the for the next operational period and he'll, you know, usually like okay. two or three days out. If there's anything significant coming, like winds or dry lightning or any, you know thunderstorms or anything like that, then he'll line that out because you know going back to the the whole unskilled labor thing, um, all of those components are going to affect the work that you want to get done. So if you want to, if you're putting in a huge indirect piece of line, um, because there's no values out there that are risk, you don't have any structures, you don't have any infrastructure, like, Hey, let's just build this giant indirect line and let's burn, let's just burn from it. Well, if you have, you know, adverse weather coming in, that's going to affect when you put that plan into place because you don't want to go out there and do it. And then like, Oh shit. Yeah. I didn't know that we had a, a wind shift coming and now your plan sucks. Um, you'll have the fire behavior analyst will get up there and he'll talk about, Hey, this is the predicted fire behavior for the fuels. And and he'll go around the, the clock on the incident, you know, in division alpha, you have, you know, fuel miles one, four, and 10. Um, and the probability of ignition is this, that or the other based on the weather and the RH and the live and dead fuel moistures, all that, all Ask that science. Everything. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And, and if you can have a person that can, simplify that so that a firefighter can understand it and go, okay, Hey, um, our pig on this division is 95%. I mean, last year, a bunch of times it was hundred percent. Like if you have any Ember cast, there's a hundred percent chance that thing, that thing is going to start spot fire. Well, it's going to bring your SA up a little bit. So the guys aren't being complacent on the line. Like, Hey, we're in a, you know, we're a mile away from the, from the main fire or a flank or whatever. But you know, as well as I do that, there, you can have spot fires a mile out in front of your main fire. It's oh, yeah. easy.
0: It's becoming more Especially, and more common these days too. <laughs> yeah. So
1: it just increases the situational awareness um, for the guys. You'll have an aircraft, um, uh, like an aircraft status update, like how many Type One ships do we have, Type Two, Type Three helicopters, um, all of that stuff, um, and then there's some some of the fluff stuff that doesn't really, it's not really important to the boots on the ground but it's important to the incident for the stakeholders when it comes to like the liaison stuff and the information stuff. Um, cause the information officer, like I said before, they're responsible for the, the, the news releases to the public.
0: And you have an and, inter, in, like an intimate role with that as well It's like you're, you're simplifying the message for the general public and disseminating that with permission of the IC to the PIO.
1: Yeah. And then the PIO will release that information because you know, the public, if they're under evacuation order, Well, they're not at their homes. When can we get back to our homes? You know, if there's road closures that are, you know, so it it disrupts the entire, you know, local community's way of living. So the sooner that we can get people back into their houses, you know, the happier the locals are going to be. But um, the PIO's part in that is pretty important because that information gets out to the people. And then they'll have community... Um, like local community meetings, or town hall meetings, where we'll have representation from, from the management side that goes out there and they just do Q&A. We'll say, hey, this is what we're doing. This is where the fire is going. Um, this is what we anticipate or expect. Um, do you guys have any questions? And it, and it gives, I think, peace of mind. There's, there's been some heated ones, but it gives peace of mind to the locals that, hey, the folks that are in, in here they're, that are fighting this fire or try to put this fire out, I do have our best interests in mind, and they are considering us, and they know that we're not in our homes. And so going back to the core values of our team, customer service is the one I couldn't think of. Um, so health and health and well or health and safety, professionalism and customer service, and customer service is a huge aspect. I mean, we're all public servants, and the public is our customer. so we want them to be taken care of, but
0: and informed. You know,
1: and informed and because, you know, as well as I do, if you don't give them the right information, they're just going to make it up. Oh, yeah. And generally, it's not going to be correct. Um, so it so the and then the the IC, the incident commander will always. Um, well, before we, before we finish with the IC, um, we'll have an opportunity for anybody to have any objections or ask any questions that are in, in that meeting. Generally, they're not. Um, most of the most of the folks will say that they can support the plan. But that's an opportunity for them to say, hey, you know what? I, I can't support that plan because of this, that, or the other. And that's what the planning meeting is is for, is to to vet out any of those issues. And at the very end, we'll finish with the IC, and the IC will kind of get up there and have some, some words of, hey, this is what we're going to do, and I like to plan, and this, that, and the other. And then after that planning meeting is over, usually that's, you know, we try to keep all of our meetings 30 minutes or less because we all have work to do. But once that planning meeting is over, then... The plan shop goes to work starting to build the next the uh, next IAP or Incident Action Plan. That's primarily built by the resource unit leaders. There's four units that work under the plan section chief. You have the resource unit, the documentation unit, the demo unit, and the situation unit. And they all work together. Um, the resource units will compile all of the inputs from all of the other sections because finance is going to have a message. Um, the 204s, which is what primarily what the choppers and squirters, that's their you know, that's their work. That's their direction or division, division assignment list for the next day. Um, We get all that information from operations. Um, Logistics. If there's any logistical issues like drop points or new drop points or backhaul and trash, you can backhaul to this drop point and then we'll send out runners to pick up the trash. Um, We compile all that information. The goal is to get that thing to print, uh, at least on a Cal Fire incident, The earlier the better because like on the, let's see, the the Thomas fire was probably the biggest fire that I was on. We had, I think, 9,000 people assigned to that incident with multiple base camps. Damn. Um, You might be printing 1,500 to 2,000 IEPs for an incident like that. Um, So the clerical unit, they they need time to print. And some of these IEPs are 80 pages long because there's just so many divisions, so many branches.
0: A lot of stuff going Uh, on.
1: So you need to give them the lead time to, to print them. So if you get them to them at five o'clock in the morning an expectation to hand IEPs out at seven o'clock in the morning for an operation briefing, not going to happen. No. So the sooner we get that done, the sooner that they can get their print. Cause they're also printing maps. They're printing the, the map packets, the operational maps. I mean, they, they have a lot of work to do. So the, the sooner we can get stuff to them, the sooner they can print that out. So usually two, three o'clock in the morning is kind of the, um, obviously sooner the better, but two or three, is kind of, it's kind of the cutoff. Okay. We need to get whatever we have, we need to get it to the printer or the clerk unit it by this time. Um, and then after that point, um, we'll usually have a pre ops meeting at 0630 or 0600 and then all the branches and divisions and the ops chief will meet in the tent away from everybody else. And they'll line out, Hey, this is what they get. This gets really down to the nitty gritty down to the weeds. Like, Hey, Branch one, get up here and talk about it. Okay. Branch out or division alpha. You need to get up here and, and you're basically having a conversation in the offgoing division with the oncoming division. So, Hey, we are able to tie in line um, or plumbed it all the way up to this point. Um, what we're, we're hoping that you guys keep done today is to get from this point to this point. So a really, really good pass down of information. That's of like setting the intent
0: behind the mission that is coming up. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yep. Yeah. Um, so well, there's a lot of communications. Um, some teams do it better than others. Um, some folks do it better than others. Uh, cause you know, each team has its culture, its own culture. Each department has its own culture. Each team has its own culture. Um, and then that usually that meeting will usually wrap up like around six 645, depends on how much information there is. And then everybody show up to the operational briefing at 0700 and do it all over again, do the, do the mass, um, grand layout for the day. So, um, and that's, that's my job. My job as a plan chief is to facilitate that meeting. So I'll come up there open it, tell everybody to you know, turn off their devices and, um, and basically pay attention <laughs> a couple, a couple of times. When you have, when you have groups of like, you know, a thousand people out there in the, in the audience, and we'll have speakers out there, you know, to, to get the volume, but occasionally you'll still have those groups of people that are still having their little itty bitty committee. And a couple of times I've had to yell like, Hey, and then everybody turns around, like, oh shit, everything's
0: oh, getting going. Oh well, man. So but, uh, basically, at the end of the day, the plan section chief is basically the mass communications division of the fire. Like you work with ops, you work with comms, you work with IMET, you work with FBAN, you work with the IC to disseminate the message and of what we're doing on the fire for that given shift.
1: Yep. Yeah. And it's not. Um, we're just collecting all of the information. Um, we don't necessarily create it, but we, we collect it. We process it. We kind of package it up a little bit. You make it and digestible. Then, yeah. And then we'll, we'll send it out to the troops. Um, Cause there's the report, the, the rock report on conditions every day that we need to do that The sit or the, the um, 209 that we need to every day, twice a day. I mean, it's just, we're just constantly processing, taking in all this information. And now with all the UAV stuff, all the drone stuff, you know, with live streaming and new IR technology that they can get throughout the day versus the old, you know, the NIROPS. NIROPS is still good, but there's so many platforms now that can gather that information um, during the day in like real time. And we can start pointing people to, um, hey, on division alpha next to this fire engine, next to this log, you know, 15 feet off the line there's a hot spot mm-hmm. you know and and that's it, it's good but like I was telling you um, before we before we went on the technology aspect of it is is starting to pass me up and uh, I it aces in places right so I don't need to know how all that stuff works but if I have good people in those positions that know how that works then that's gonna make me look good and the whole team look good um, and so I have a really 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 good section of folks and then we have um we have some uh i don't want to call them soldiers of fortune um but we have some folks out there that are kind of like guns for hire
0: a little bit and of mercenary so, action
1: yes a little so we got some mercs out there and um when it looks like we're going to get activated we'll we'll do all this prior to you. we'll say hey are you available are you available and we'll roster them on the team and if we get punched out then they automatically get a, re- a request number so we don't have to go through the normal hiring or the ordering process to get them out there. But I have a really, really I'm so blessed with the guy with the guys and girls that I have on my team because they make me look so good because of how good they are and how professional they are. Um I and you know going back to the mentorship and succession planning and all that stuff. Um I got two years left in me for the team stuff. It just uh it's yeah, I want my summers back. Like go hang out with the family and go to cool stuff. I haven't had a summer off since nineteen ninety six oh wow so yeah so it's it's been a little bit um but uh the people that i have coming up behind me are pfft, the little bit that i'm giving them they're gonna do so much better than i am which that's, the, that's the, what we want right we want yeah. we want the people coming after us to do a better job than us and i'm pretty sure that the folks that i have they're gonna they're gonna take it and run with it and make it even better than what what i've done so but yeah that's kind of the that's kind of the plan in not, I guess it's not a nutshell because I was kind of long-winded. But.
0: <laughs> oh, we went off on a pretty, pretty substantial tangent there. So it's all good. Yeah. All good,
1: yeah, man. for sure. For sure. But it's all good. It's all good. I'm, uh, I'm an open book. Sometimes I'm too open. I, I, uh, sometimes need to f- filter out like it goes from brain to mouth and there's no filtering. And sometimes I gets some you in trouble. So.
0: Oh, you should have seen me last night when, during the uh, Conor McGregor fight. Oh man, oh, dude, did you get to watch yeah. it or what?
1: No, 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 but I woke up this morning and I saw that he had a TKO for his leg in the in the first round and I'm like...
0: <laughs> yeah, well, who was that oh, John Jones that uh, broke his tibia? Did you see that video where he like stepped back on his tibia and it just like oh, folded in half? A uh, couple months ago? Uh, I want to say so, yeah. Well, was
1: that a, or was that a different guy? He kicked, leg kick, stepped back, his ankles broke or his tib fib was broke and I it think- kind of just a little like... Whoa. Like you yeah. tried to stand up on it was that I don't know if that was John Jones, but I know a couple months ago I watched that fight. And I'm like,
0: Holy I can't remember if it was, shit. Yeah, I can't remember if it was John Jones or what, but yeah, of of course though. Once by oversharing, of course, I was just straight to that screenshot on the uh, on the old meme channel. I was just making these dumb memes about <laughs> one of so, my to so send them out to my buddies with. Uh, the so what? Did, so what
1: did he hurt? What What happened?
0: He just he snapped injury, like or? his lower tib fib. So, oh, so
1: he did. He broke his leg. Oh
0: yeah, dude. He stepped back on it and that thing just folded in half. It was gross. Wow. It was like one of those like you ever seen those injuries or you're just like, oh, oh
1: yeah, no, any oh. ankle or knee injury, that's that's how I that's how I get it immediately. I can't, I can watch it one time and then I'm like, okay, I'm done. I don't want to see it
0: Yeah, I I was good, man. But uh yeah, the prelims yeah. are pretty good. But yeah, of course I was sitting there, you know, making memes and talking shit to my buddies that would put money on the like Connor McGregor. I'm like, dude, come on. <laughs> Oh, you put money on Connor? I didn't. No. I I don't do sports betting, but yeah, a couple of my friends did. And I was just like, huh? How's that treating you?
1: <laughs> yep. 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 Oh, yep. man.
0: But yeah, man. Um, did you guys, uh, yeah. Did you get to see some of the fire behavior, uh, bringing it back to like the longer, more intense, crazy fire seasons that we're having? Did you get to see some of the footage that, uh, was being put out there on the old socials about the Beckworth complex.
1: Yeah, I did. Um, I saw what you posted last night and I saw like a couple of other uh, Instagram pages that I follow that, that posted the same picture. And it is, it is insane. Um, I think it, it really speaks that for line supervision, they need to either have those TRAs really easily identified, flagged off safety zones. Uh, probably make them more frequent and more big. Like if it's four and a half times the flame length on all sides for, you know, uh, adequate safety zone I'd go 10 times. Yeah. Because the, especially when you're up in, you know, timber, like that's a you know, Northern California. Um, it's just not, it, it'll grow back. We have insurance. We can build, we can rebuild houses, but it's really, really hard to get over the loss of, or injury, you know, if somebody, because they're trying to, you know, put the fire out, I mean, that's our job to do, but we can't do it safely. We just, we just need to be a little bit more forward thinking on some of those things.
0: Yeah. So. That, and I think we just need to be more proactive instead of reactive as um, just in looking at wildfire in general. And that, you know, of course requires staffing, but uh, yeah, I mean the fuels loading, the weather patterns that are shifting, um, and I know I'm going to get torn up for this one, but I've seen from my very short career of 11 years, you know, fire intensity growing at an exponential pace. Everything's like not, maybe not exponential, but it's rapidly uh, getting longer, hotter, drier, uh, more intense fire seasons. And it's only trending that direction. So, but yeah, oh. man, I tried to warn, I, I tried to give a shout out. Cause that's a, that used to be like my, my old stomping grounds. I uh, did a lot of work over in that area and, I think it's one of those like lesser known low key dangerous places to fight fires on the escarpment over there on the Diamond Range and the Doyle Triangle and backworth the whole Plumas National Forest man it's it don't underestimate it it's it's crazy it gets really crazy over there
1: Well you, I I think um the very first uh, I mean w- when I I worked hotshots for 3 years and I, I don't recall the biggest fire cause I was just there to, you know, go cut line and burn out and stuff like that. But I, I would venture to say the biggest fire I was probably on was maybe 10,000 acres, 15,000, 15, acres, maybe, you know, back then that was a career. Fire. If you had a 10,000 acre fire, that was like, that's the biggest fire that I've ever been on and I'll ever go on in my career.
0: Yeah. It's like, historic.
1: Um, I mean, some of these fires are burning 80,000 acres in a, in just one burn period. Like, I, I want to, I think that the campfire did that. I think the, even the North complex last year, I think it burned like 85,000 acres in one burn period. The Thomas fire burned 12 miles in one night. So it's just, you know, with the global climate change, with the temperatures rising, the the drought, the persistent drought that we're in in California, the, the live and dead fuel moistures are you know critically low. We're seeing what, um, typical fuel moistures that we'll see in September, October, we're seeing in May, June now. Oh yeah. So it just, it just, it, you know, as firefighters, I don't, my, my daughter's boyfriend, he's a firefighter one um, with Cal Fire and Riverside. He's, he's got his third season. And so he's, he's feeling kind of salty because he's like the senior guy in a station now after three seasons of being a firefighter. But um, th- those are the guys that, you know, Hey, be heads up! Don't just ride in the back seat and go do what your captain or your engineer tells you to do. Like, be smart about it. Be a thinking firefighter and go. Okay, hey, you know the temperature is going to be this today. The winds are coming out of this direction. RH is expected to go into this. What's our probability of ignition today? What's you know our burn addicts? What what are the factors that are going to affect my safety and how I'm going to do my job today? Like, those are the things that we need to really start ingraining into these young firefighters so that they're not just robots. They're just Hey, Hey cap, you know what? I don't think that's a good idea. You know, have that discussion. Like I said earlier, you know, about this generation being a little bit more open-minded and, and asking questions, like ask those questions because we don't see it all. You know, we've been around for a little bit, but we don't have all the answers. Yeah, you we haven't don't see seen it all. I mean, it's a, it's a team effort. Ask those questions. Maybe, maybe you're going to point something out that your captain didn't see like, Hey, there's a propane tank right there on that side. Oh shit. I didn't even see that. Um,
0: well, that's a two-way street yeah, too, though, man. That's that's a two-way street because the leadership needs to be receptive and open to uh, their boots on the ground as well. It doesn't matter if you're the rookie that's huffing a jerry can, or you know your next senior-level guy. You need to be aware and cognizant of what these guys are seeing and guys' anger. A
1: hundred percent agree because you you think there are folks coming into the fire service now that have some significant life experience. They're not just kids out of high school. I mean, you got a lot of vets that have you know they've lived life like they're not spring chickens. So if they say, Hey, cap or Hey soup or whoever, what do you think about this? Like consider it as, consider what they're saying. Like don't just discard it. Um,
0: oh yeah. That, uh, but, shut up and dig mentality of shut, you know, shut up and dig mentality. It needs to go.
1: Yeah. Yep. I, I agree. But yeah, the, the fire behavior, I'd say, you know, Western Western United States, um, region three, region five, like, be ready for you know many many more years of long haul unless we have some other crazy global climate change where all of a sudden we start getting you know weather wetter weather patterns it's going to be like it's going to be like this for the next few years
0: oh yeah oh yeah i mean shit we had our was it 1.1 million acre fire on the august complex that's unheard of I,
1: i think i think almost all of mendocino national forest burned in the last probably two years, three years. Cause I, what was it? The Mendocino complex. Oh, what was that? Like three years, two years ago, three years ago, that became the biggest fire in California. I want to say it was like, it was was like twenty eighteen. it was a complex, but I think it burned like four or 500,000 acres. And at the time that, you know, that record, that record was bigger than obviously anything ever in California history. Okay. Well, hold on. 2020 basically said, hold my beer. And, um, you know, you have the August complex go through. So it's, it's not going to change anytime soon. It's, this is what we're going to be dealing with for the for the next few years. It's
0: definitely you know? the new normal.
1: Yep. Yep. For sure. Um, you know, one, one thing I wanted to, to say is on the, going back to the campfire, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger has, you know, he's made his rounds back when he was the governor and, And he was a huge, huge proponent of fire service, huge proponent. And, um, it was towards the end of the incident, but he flew in from wherever he flew in from, he was over in Europe somewhere filming a video, a movie.
0: The Expendables 6 or whatever. (laughs) What's that? The Expendables Um, number 6 or whatever.
1: Probably, probably. But you know how there's people in your life that you're, or, you know, people that you've never met. I've never met Arnold before until then. Um, and you have this preconceived notion of what they are, you know. This guy lived up to it and then some like he was gracious, humble, listened. He he wasn't there about it, wasn't about him, it was about the folk the dude was serving food in the chow hall.
0: That's like, awesome.
1: Um no entourage. I think he had two people with him. And so he just basically he walked around fire camp and just walked around and said hi to people. I mean. It was an amazing, amazing experience. It um, made me a fan for life. Like I've heard all the things that he's done in the past. I've been on incidents where he's been there in the past, but I was never in a position to to see him or talk to him. He came out on the um, during the op briefing towards the end, talked to the guys that were the the folks that were there in the operational briefing, like a, kind of like a pep talk. And if you look at the, uh, I'm not on Facebook, but um, I was told this was on Facebook. I keep looking at my watch because my job is to facilitate this and get, hey, we need to get these folks out to the line to, to get to work. And I kept looking at my watch and a couple of the comments were, look at this poor guy. He keeps looking at his watch because he fucking talked for probably like 15 minutes.
0: <laughs> You're trying to get people out on the line to go uh, to work. Yeah.
1: I'm, I'm like, <laughs> Dude, how am I going to get this guy to wrap this thing up? And so he, he finally does. And when I get the mic back, I'm like, man, I'm glad he finished because I was trying to figure out how I'm going to kick Terminator off the off the stage but uh no he did a he did a great job and um like I said all of the preconceived you know images or notions or whatever it was I had about him he lived up to it and then some it was just it was a really really cool experience and I'm not going to compare Arnold to a, a therapy dog but it was like bringing a therapy dog in because as soon as people saw him they're like oh shoot there's Arnold Schwarzenegger and, yeah, and he was like an icon
0: action movie icon, man. I mean, it's, I'm sure that was a huge morale boost to everybody that was oh, there.
1: Yeah. It, it was the, it was one of the highlights of my, you know, incident management team experiences was, was hanging out with that guy for a little bit. And then my partner, he comes back in and he has a challenge coin that has, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger governor, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, where the hell did you get that from? He's like, Oh, he, he's giving out challenge coins, but you got to give him a challenge coin in order to get one.
0: No coin swap. Like,
1: yeah. So I dug through my bag and, and I was able to come up with the coin when, and he's just sitting, he's just sitting in this truck, just in the suburban, because it was kind of a, a campfire towards the end of it. Um, or not even towards the end, towards the middle of it, the weather changed pretty quick and it was like rainy. I mean, it was December Yeah. or it was November.
0: I think it was a tail end um, November.
1: Yeah. It was November. And so I went out there and I said, Hey man, I heard you're giving out coins. He's like, yeah, but you got to give me a coin. And I'm like, Hey, I came to this party to play. So gave him a coin, told him, thanks a lot for, for coming out and then a lot to the, to the folks on the line. He said, Hey, I, I love what you guys do. I have a lot of respect for what you guys do. And it was a pretty cool, pretty cool experience. So.
0: I think things like that are kind of important uh, for explaining and gaining popularity for what we do. Um, Cause wildland fire like everybody automatically assumes that you work for oh cal fire or you're a smoke jumper or something like that so i think that i think there's value behind it like good pr you know it's 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 making wildfire more mainstream i guess you could say because this problem isn't going anywhere it's going to be there for the the rest of human history right and it's the only natural disaster that humanity decided to pick a fight with so I think that the more that people are informed and the more people that are aware of it, the better decisions that they can make. And, you know, like fire preparedness or whatever, you know, reducing fuel loading around your house, you know, defensible space or, you know, highlighting the accomplishments of these men and women out there in the field. I think that's good.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, public information is, is key. The more people that we can get educated in a way, just you know, you, you, look at the population, the, the way that California is growing, or not just California, but the, the world in general, well, people, I mean, they want to have their own, their own little you know piece of land. Well, they're going to start, or they're not going to start. They've been, you know, they spread out and getting that whole interface intermix um, component now. Well, that just houses are just fuel for the fire. So if we can yep. properly educate them fuel on what four. to do to, to keep their home safe you know, 30 feet, 100 feet, you know, removing, removing ladder fuels, um, you know, not having a shake shingle roof, you know, just making your house a little bit more or a little bit less prone to, to catch it on fire. Um, you know, it's going to obviously protect their investment. It's going to um, help us to put the fire out because we're not having to deal with, you know, digging through rubble to find if there's any bodies in there or anything like that. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just, it's just education. That's all it is. Yeah. you
0: know, Oh, absolutely. Educational. That's the thing, though. Is like it, it, that's, and that's the point I'm trying to make with the whole Arnold Schwarzenegger thing. It's like everybody, everybody knows who Arnold Schwarzenegger is. Nobody knows who really a wildland firefighter is or like the whole thing behind wildfire, like all of the things that are related to it. No one knows about it. They just see smoke column and some folks disappear into the woods for, you know, however long it takes. And then they don't see it ever again. And it kind of just, you, you just lose sight of it.
1: No, oh, but Angelina Jolie just came out with a movie about firefighting didn't she? <laughs> I saw that trailer. and like, not even gonna waste my time finishing this trailer.
0: <laughs> it's not a bad movie, but there's some serious Hollywood stuff in there. Man. Come on, Brandon. <laughs> All right, it's not it's uh, not bad for the general public. How about that? Oh, okay. But when you're well, doing you know a halo jump with goggles on,
1: <laughs> it's. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, some ESS. To
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, just the disconnect from like reality, you know, it, it's, it's funny, man. I just think it's so funny. Well, that's,
1: but that's what, the, there are going to be people that watch that movie and go, Oh, that's what firefighters do. That's what wildland firefighters do. Yeah.
0: Well, you, you know, gotta, you gotta glorify it in some degree, but <sighs> like the reality of wildfire uh, wildland firefighting is that it's like long periods of boredom and boring crap followed by like very short intermittent sheer terror and chaos
1: oh yeah like the video you posted yesterday up on the Beckworth oh yeah that, I mean that was some scary that was some scary footage some scary footage
0: yeah dude've I've seen some pretty interesting fire behavior back there man it's nuts it's nuts
1: yeah I think you know how they get um they have reporters that will embed with uh, with troops. If we can do that a little bit more with wildland firefighting aspects, that probably will give a a a better um, picture to the folks that aren't involved in firefighting as to what it is that we deal with on a on a day to day basis. And I think you know overall that you just say the word firefighter, it comes with a certain amount of you know respect um, and honor in that in that profession. But um, you know, I, I don't think. They fully understand, you know, the day to day, the, the shift to shift on, on what it is like, you know, talk about boredom, but, but if you're just cutting, if you're digging line all day long, just, you know, one foot in the black, one foot in the green, just cutting, 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 that's some hard ass work. Oh yeah. You know, I, without smoke, without heat, it's hard ass work. And and I don't think people fully understand or comprehend what it is that, what that entails um but if we were to get some reporters in there, uh that might that might help a little bit.
0: Yeah, I think Vice News embedded uh they embedded with was it Eldorado, um, followed them around for a little while, but it doesn't paint the full picture. It's only a very small component of what goes on behind the scenes.
1: You know what movie um that um the um the Prescott, the Grand Mountain Hotshot movie, what was that only the Brave? Only the was Brave. Only the Brave? Mm-hmm. So I this is this movie came out before my my daughter's boyfriend got in the fire service, but I said it's a really good representation of the of the crew culture and the camaraderie and the cohesion of the crew. It's not necessarily that good because it, it it was it was Hollywooded up. Let's be honest.
0: Yeah, the fire. Um, behavior, if you
1: read if you, yes. if you read the book, it's it wasn't an accurate portrayal of of his book and the actual incident, but um, the. Camaraderie and the cohesion and the brotherhood. I think that bit it did a pretty good job of oh, it capturing. Oh, did
0: an excellent job of attack. capturing that.
1: And, and I think that's what um, you know. That's what the fire service is about. That's what military is about. Is you know, there's nothing breeds cohesion and, com- and camaraderie like struggle. You know, and suffering. You, you suffer together. You go in a long, hard incident. Um, you get your ass kicked day to day, and then you have you know. It just brings people closer together, you know. Yeah. And you always, got, you know, years later, you go, "Wow, remember that fire? We did this, and we did that." And it's, it's always a, a. I know going back to my Forest Service days, how many times that we're on, in the middle of an instant going, "Man, when I get back, I'm getting off this crew. This fire sucks. I can't believe I do this job for this much money." And then, you know, invariably on your way back to, you know, when you get released, and you're like, "Oh my god, I can't wait to go to the next one. That fire was so awesome." You just you know, when you're in it, it kind of sucks, but if you have a good crew and you're enjoying each other's company, it, it gets you through it, and then you can't wait to get to the next one. So Oh,
0: 100 percent, man. It's like, it's like you always bitch and complain about like being in the suck, right? When you're just <laughs> wearing it and just hating life, right? You always bitch about it. But when you come off the line and you go home, you remember that as like one of the best times of your life.
1: Yep. And I'm telling you, 25 years later from my first season, I still feel that way. Like, yeah, it did suck. And it's hard ass work. And you get we called it the last legal sweatshop, you know, because we're I don't know. I think I'm GS fours, I think, made like nine bucks an hour or something back then, which is crazy because they don't make that much more than that today. Twenty five years later.
0: Yeah. With inflation adjusted. Yeah, it's yeah. Yeah. Might even be less, but, um,
1: but it was the last legal sweatshop. Like what they, what they had us do for what they paid us was, it was crazy, but I, I loved every second of it. Yeah.
0: You know? The whole, uh, paid in sunsets kind of, kind of mentality, I guess you could say, but hopefully that'll change, man. I'd like to see those men and women out there you know, get the benefits that they deserve they deserve, particularly on the fed side, but we'll see what yeah. happens, man.
1: Yep. For sure. For sure. Right. On. So dude, this was fun, man.
0: Yeah, it was a good episode, man. And uh yeah, you know, traditions, always obviously, obviously, you know, I'm a sucker for traditions. So at the end of the show, I always like to give you uh the opportunity to give a a shout out to homies, heroes, mentors. Who do you got for us?
1: Oh Thanks. you know what? There's there's been a lot. Um I would say, you know, start obviously with my parents, but um a couple of names in the in the plans world. Uh, Ed McCormick, um, Cal fire. Um, he was my very first captain kind of, he kind of got me going into the, um, I, I want to say I was only, I was young 2021. 20, he put me through this, like talking about the ICS calls. He put me through this check-in status recorder class. And I'm like, what the fuck am I in this class? Like I want to go fight fire. I don't want to do paperwork. I don't want to. And you know, check-in status recorder is the lowest level in the plan section. So, you know, Fast forward 20 years, I'm a, a plant section chief. So I want to give a shout out to Ed Farmer because he, uh, he, he kind of, um, groomed me in the fire service and showed me what a firefighter, sh- you know, how they, how we should act, how we should, you know, portray ourselves and all that stuff. So that's good. Um, Steve Beach, another guy, another plans guy, good, fi- probably the, one of the smartest firefighters I've ever worked with, um, can be an asshole sometimes he knows it, but, uh, but he's a great guy. Tim Chavez, um, widely recognized as one of the best, um, smartest fire behavior analysts in the entire country. Um, I was fortunate enough to have him work in the planning section for the last eight years. Um, guy was, uh, just a wealth of knowledge. I'd I'd loved working with, with Tim. Um, but I would say that, uh, you know, the, the person that made all of this possible was my wife. Um, been married for 22 years, been together for 28 or something like that. Um, all she's known is fire. Um, and without her support and her holding the fort down at home, I know when I leave for a fire, I don't have to worry about anything. Um, yeah. She's uh, she's definitely the the rock of the family. So love you, Angela. Thanks for, for all the support over the years. But yeah, that's, that's it.
0: Hell yeah, man. And it takes a special type of person to you know put up with a fire fire lifestyle. So shout out to Angela. You said Angela, right? Yep. Angela. Yep. Hell yeah. yeah she, man.
1: she told me she would keep it down while, uh, while we were doing this cause <laughs> she's always, she's always cooking or making something. I don't know, that's why I work out so much because all the food that
0: she's got burn food. it off, man. <laughs> 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 well, hell yeah, man. This is a good episode. And uh, thanks for shining a little bit light on, uh, the planning section chief, uh, that's a lesser known position and a lot of people, you know, they get sucked into ops and, You know, pound and ground, but it's it's good to know and understand what's going on at like the top of that ICS structure and what goes on behind the scenes and what it takes. So, thank you very much. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it, man.
0: Oh yeah, Chris. Well, we'll see you uh, again. Hopefully.
1: Yeah, yeah, and again, I'm I'm an open book, dude. I'm I'm usually pretty available. Um, I'm not on Facebook, like I said, but uh, Instagram. Obviously, you can hit me up on Instagram. Um, I'll shoot you my phone number. Um, uh, send you a message with my phone number and that way if you have any like oh hey you know what I forgot to ask about this or somebody was asking about that then you can shoot me a text and I'm I'm pretty pretty available so
0: sounds good man and then for uh, all the people that are listening where can we find you
1: Uh, Instagram if you just um, cbirch801 c-b-u-r-c-h 801 um, I'm private but uh, if you uh, if you hit me up if you're affiliated with the fire service or EMS or anything like that I generally generally add you but uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much the only thing I'm on Instagram. If you want to send me an email, if you have any questions that um, that weren't answered on the podcast, uh, cbirch801 at gmail.com is my email address.
0: Right on, man. Well, there we go. Ladies and gentlemen, another episode in the books. Chris, once again, thank you, man. Appreciate it. Thanks,
1: Brandon. All right, man. See ya.
0: Later. All right, ladies and gentlemen, there we go. Another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast is in the books with my good friend, Chris Birch. Chris, dude, thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, chit-chatting it up, man. I like these free-form conversations. And uh, yeah, like I said, man, these uh, conversations are totally unscripted, but you bring uh, some subject matter expertise to the show. And I think a lot of people uh, will get a better idea of what a planning section t- uh, planning section chief uh, does on these IMTs, on these incident management teams. It's pretty cool, man. So once again, thank you for your knowledge, your expertise, and spreading the word, man. Appreciate it. With that being said, I hope everybody's doing well. And uh, yeah, we are not even halfway through the season. Uh, I hope everybody is doing well, and I hope everybody stays safe. Uh, We just recently had an aviation accident on the uh, Cedar Basin fire down in Region 3. So uh, yeah, take the time to remember these folks. And those are our eyes in the skies. And uh, I just want to extend my deepest consult deepest condolences to the family of the two air attack, uh, personnel that were on that flight. So, uh, yeah, so I hate to end this show on a more somber note, but that's the harsh reality that we face as wildland firefighters. So be careful out there, ladies and gentlemen, please be careful, make it home. Yeah. uh, Special shout out to our sponsors. We got Mystery Ranch. Uh, They make the most kick-ass, most comfortable, most durable packs in the fire game. And they're helping support the story of Wildland Fire with their Backbone Series and the Backbone Series Scholarship. So go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check them out. We got Hot Shot Brewery. Kick-ass coffee for kick-ass cause. Go over to www.mysteryranch.com hotshotbrewing.com and get all of your essentials for getting your morning started off right we got the ass movement uh yeah these guys are spreading the good word about burying your turds and uh i i certainly appreciate it because it's disgusting and it needs to stop so if you want to uh incorporate yourself into the poo-bearing propaganda team, go over to www.thefirewild.com and check out the ass movement. And last but not least, we've got Bethany and the Smoky Generation, also known as the American Wildfire Experience, which isn't just uh, just in America anymore. It's all across the globe. It is awesome. It's an awesome storytelling platform, and they're helping support you folks on the ground, the boots on the ground that are telling the story of Wild Amp Fire with the uh, scholarships that she's doing with the Smokey Generation scholarships. Stay safe. Stay savage. Peace.